All right. Welcome one. Welcome all. Welcome to Fan Team Radio. Hey guys. Yeah, we're your hosts, Chris Cheyenne. We're just two Americans who fell in love with F1 and we're excited to uh, share our perspective with newcomers, veterans, and uh, just fans of F1 as well. All right. So Jetta, 27 turns, 6.8 kilometers, 3.8 miles for our Americans. It is the longest track, uh, street track in F1 and the second longest overall, 50 laps and three DRS zones. Otherwise known as the fastest street track in the world. Uh, yeah, man, it was an awesome, but, uh, before we get into the race, I just want to touch on quality a little bit because, um, quality was way more interesting than I, that I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be straight by the book, Max, just P1, Prez, P2, just sort of everyone sliding in where they were, but there were some standouts, um, and, you know, Max's drive shaft failing, uh, through a huge wrench into the whole thing, um, which actually wanted to note a little funny aspect about that, his lap time. And Q1 uh, was faster than and it was faster than the fastest uh, quality lap time in, in Q3. So he he put it on pole in Q1, which is actually pretty crazy. Uh, but I think the the biggest standout for me is Logan Sargent uh, missing out on Q2 from just putting his tire over that line into the pink. Like what a crazy little rule book that the the FI went because you know you're on a straight, you're not getting an advantage, and he just touched it. Uh, and I think it threw him off for the rest of the whole weekend. It just really, he, you know, got the penalty, got his lap time deleted that would that would have gotten to Q2. That team would have probably put him in Q3. And, you know, uh, he just, he, he spun out after that. He couldn't put a time on the board. And I think he suffered the rest of the weekend from it. I, I agree. I feel really bad for Logan Sargent, especially after the outing he put last week. Um, he was in great position. I agree with the fact that because drivers don't gain any advantage going off track on a straight, and a lot of that advantage is kind of gained in the apexes and the turns, that should just be something that the FIA acknowledges early on because it just it's a rule that doesn't make sense. It doesn't gain or you know give advantages to anyone, and it does throw drivers off. You know, Logan looked like he was visibly distraught after that qualifying, and uh, and and and. I wouldn't be surprised if it bled into into race day. Yeah, I mean, it must be hard to be a rookie and all of a sudden your engineer is saying like your lap time, your delta is getting you in and you like you're excited about it. And then all of a sudden that gets deleted and you're thinking like how embarrassing and you start questioning yourself. You start questioning, you know, your performance and then you try to remember what you did to do that. And then you're starting to overthink the lap and, and trying to recreate it and ultimately failing from that and i think it just ruined his confidence uh around the track and just uh really threw him off base so yeah i to, to your point like about the rule being weird i'm just curious like why the rule exists in the first place like is it specific to jetta is it, is it just a reason that they didn't want because uh, of the speed of the track they didn't want people approaching onto the pit lane i'm not sure but it's just one of those things it's like i'm curious about that rule um, you know, yeah. I'd like to think maybe it's something to do with how fast the track is and what kind of Mick had to go through last year and potentially avoiding that. That That's me putting my positive hat on and, and giving the FIA, you know, uh, a little bit of, of goodwill <clears throat> there. But in and this will, you know, we'll talk about this a little bit more in our call here today is exactly what the FIA does 
and doesn't do in terms of an organized sport and it having some like guidelines and rules that everyone follows everyone adheres to it seems like a moving uh yard line for these guys so so we'll get into that a little bit more i know i know you had thoughts on lance stroll's performance today as well or um on during qualifying this weekend how do you think he did yeah i just wanted to quickly talk about the fact because um when he started his last lap and he i think he was like one tenth off the pace or even less than a tenth off the pace in the first sector and then one tenth off the pace in the second sector i was like for the first time in a while i stood up out of my chair and i was like on the edge of my seat and just like ready i was like lance please put it on pole like just throw a wrench into this whole like expectations just completely decimate because you know lance is one of those guys that a lot of people have written off for a long time and you know we've talked about it before but i was just like please just put this on pole and then when he when he was only one tenth down in sector two which is faster than alonzo's time and then he came across the line at six i was like what happened like i didn't see any egregious mistakes or whatever and i think looking back on it looking at the replay he had a couple of uh oversteer corrections in the in the last sector on turn 22 i believe it was uh, where he just lost that last, you know, there's so many, there's so many fast speed straights that if you lose getting out of a corner, you're just going to have slower KPH throughout the entire rest of the the straight. So I think that's just where it came off. But I just wanted to note that like, I really was hoping for Stroll uh, and I think his performance and quality was really good. And uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's get into the race. Let's do it. So um, let's talk about the grouping of these cars, right? Um, what we saw today was Red Bull in a league of their own. Uh, pretty indicative of, of everything that we've seen preseason and last race. Uh, we saw Aston Martin with uh, Fernando Alonso split the difference between um, the Mercedes and the Red Bull. So Red Bull come in as a pack right after that. Alpine came in as a pack. And then from there, you know, Haas had a really good outing today with, with Magazine putting up points. Hulkenberg coming in 12th. Sonoda even, you know, put in a little bit of work there. But the back of the pack looks pretty scrambled still, I'd say. I think the, you know, AlphaTauri showing up today really made it uh, impactful. You can see what they're doing on a healthy weekend. I can see them definitely, you know, making that fight for fifth. Um, in fourth, you know, uh, Ferrari kind of grouped together. We'll, we'll expand a little bit more on them today. But, you know, tire deck was a really big issue for them today. I uh, feel really bad for Leclerc as well, as I always do. Um, and then, yeah, Mercedes, you know, George Russell and Lewis did what they could with the car that they have. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about what Toto, uh, his thoughts are on, on on the car and the performance. Um, but, but yeah, what, what were your thoughts? How did, how did you, how, how did you think the, the start of this race went? Uh, well, I'll get to that one second. I just want to touch real quick on the fact that you said you felt bad for Leclerc and, the minute that I heard the team radio where he started arguing with his engineer again about just lack of communication, I was like, I hope Fred Vasseur is listening to this and just being like, start taking notes. Like uh, I forget his name, but that, that guy in Billy Madison, we starts crossing names or writing names on his like death list. I hope, I hope Fred Vasseur. Oh, Steve Buscemi's character. Yeah. Steve yeah, Buscemi's character. Cause I'm just like, I want, the strategists, I want everyone at Ferrari to start taking, you know, serious considerations of their future because we can't make mistakes like that at not only the prestige of an organization like Ferrari, but just, you know, when you have this kind of 
talent in your vehicles. You can't make simple mistakes like losing a place because you're trying to build a gap to keep your tires warm and stuff like that. It's just, it's unacceptable. But yeah, I think they're the- in a place right now where they're, where they're, you know, changing out a lot of the old guards in terms of who uh, Mattia had in place. And, you know, I think that's what this looks like, right? Like a change of management and it never looks pretty, you know, and, and I think that's what Charles and Carlos has to suffer through for at least this season. Unfortunately, um, this is just really early on, but I think, you know, Ferrari is going to be having these issues persist throughout the season. Yeah. I mean, you know, finishing up on this real quick, I just wanted to, you know, like you said, it might be take the season, but I think if Fred is doing this, it'll happen the right way where he's actually learning the organization from a deep level and figuring out where the pain points are, who the problematic people are and making those changes slowly versus doing a clean sweep from day one. Cause you never know, uh, you might get rid of a, a good asset who just isn't supported in the right way. So, um, but going back to your groupings of the cars, like, yeah, it just sort of seems like everyone was kind of where they want needed to be. Um, but, you know, like you said, Alonzo was splitting the pack. Like he is that guy who is just randomly between Red Bull and Mercedes and Ferrari, just sort of in his own world. And I thought his race start was amazing. He got off the line really well and, took took Sergio in the first corner and like again I was out of my chair screaming I was like yes like uh it's so awesome to see this guy who's 41 which is near and dear to my heart because tomorrow is my big 4-0 birthday that you know you there can you still, go that you can still you can still perform you can still have a career you can still be the top guy uh and nothing's gonna hold you back sometimes you might just need a little engine behind you but you could take it. And uh, it was just so amazing to watch him uh, get off the line, take it to the track and put in really good laps every lap. It just awesome. Just being happy the whole race, like hearing him uh, over the radio, just smiles. Like when he got his penalty, he just responded. Okay. Like <laughs> I thought it was awesome. Yeah. I think, you know, it, it goes to show as, and this is coming from the perspective of an American F1 fan really get to see Fernando in his heyday and didn't really get to appreciate how strong and how hated he must have been uh, when he was crushing it for Ferrari. And so given that perspective and kind of coming in at it, you know, at the tail end of his career, I, you know, American sports is, is, a, is a big part of, of how I grew up. And, and I, you know, I was a little jaded, not maybe jaded, but skeptical of, of if he says that if you put him in a good car, he'll deliver. I always thought that was a little bit of lip service there because he did multiple like teams and, 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 and it it seemed like he just couldn't really get to the front of the pack. And now that I see that he is in a car that is competitive, it's stable, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, consistent. He is putting it where it needs to be. And the only other team that is outshining them is Red Bull, uh, and 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 that's a win for any team. I feel like, uh, other than Mercedes, um, so I, I really think that Fernando, his acumen in terms of uh, as a driver, how well he knows these tracks, his ability to overtake, those details are going to matter a lot as this uh, season continues. And as you know, we still see Lance's performance strong, but you know, every now and again, like today the car might, you know, die out on them. So those things are, you know, we have to be accountable for those as, as the year goes on. So I don't want to make any big grand uh, 
proclamations here, but I really do think Fernando Alonso will end up in third position when it's all said and done this year. Yeah, uh, going back to your point about the, the car, this is something that I've sort of fought with for a while as a new fan to F1 um, because you hear that, like what you said, where if I just had the right car, um, but I do think that it is kind of important, um, especially when you're at a caliber of these guys who are used to driving in uh, like top of the line cars that handle exactly how they want. Like just look at Lewis right now. Like George Russell was in a shitbox for you know a long time, and he's used to making a car that's not very good do what it's supposed to do or do what it can do. And now that he's in a really fast, terrible car, uh, he's able to put it up there. But Lewis is used to being in a car that does everything exactly that he wants it. It's designed for him. It's designed around him. Um, and he's struggling with it. And I think that experience at Williams or you know, that like boot camp in Williams was actually good for him, uh, for George to, to be able to consistently be ahead of Lewis. Um, and so seeing Alonzo in a great car, um, you know, I, I do believe that the car is important, but, you know, you do need that driver, that good experience to actually outshine um, and get ahead. As you see with Alonzo's amazing experience is finishing ahead of Stroll, who's had years in the Aston Martin. So, uh, but let's, yeah, let's, let's circle back to Lance real quick. Unfortunately, his race ended a little bit early. Um, I don't know exactly what happened to his car, but it died and he was actually doing really well. I, what, do you remember what place he was in when it, when he died? It was like fourth or fifth or. I think he was almost coming up or he had passed Hamilton already. So he was probably up into P4, P5. Yeah. He was doing really well. And, um, his car, I believe, stalled like on the side of the track where they were able to get it off relatively easily. Um, yeah. What do you think about that? Yeah, so this is a, something, another new thing that hasn't really happened very often in this sport, at least since I've been watching, which is obviously not very long, a couple of years. But the fact that they called a safety car on Lance going out uh, on on the TV, they showed Lance's like, face cam for a while and you were like where is he what happened did he crash did he spin out what exactly happened and when they finally zoomed out and just showed him on the side of the track behind the safety barrier and then the safety car was called you were like what like even the the announcers were like this is doesn't make any sense he's behind uh where the marshals are and he's completely off track there's nothing going on so why is the safety car called and then it later came out um that the FIA admitted to the media that they called the safety car because they didn't know where he was. They didn't have the cameras. They didn't have a location on him. And I'm like, this is completely unacceptable from the FIA. How do you not know where every single car is on the track at all times? And I just think it's another example of what we can lead into about how the FIA has just been so inconsistent, uh, you know, ever since, I guess, I mean, probably for a long time, but most notably starting with Abu Dhabi and leading until now. It's just been a lot of problematic issues and weird calls. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's the hot topic of this week, unfortunately, is what happened um, with serving or not serving his penalty properly along with his staff and his engineers and how that was applied and, you know, brought back and, and, and post-race. It's it's it is embarrassing right i think that the inconsistencies and the arbitrary nature 
of how they follow rules, how they, you know, uh, administer rules and, and, and how they're able to kind of have undefined lines that they have to keep going back to, to redefine on a per situation basis. It's not, this is again, me being an American sports fan. If I saw anything like that egregious, like in baseball, basketball, football, there would be a media riot, you know? Um, and, and I know we had talked about this a little bit, Chris, in terms of, you know, if the people travel in basketball, you know, sometimes uh, people step out of lines when they're playing football and, and, and it's not called even during instant replay. There are those instances, but there are defined rules of, of what a catch means of what uh you know a home run means if it like hits the the foul like like bar and then comes back in like it's an infield so there are all these rules that are written down for every single scenario that are undisputable for the most part and then f1 it seems like again a, a moving yardstick whenever and 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 they are they bend the knee to scrutiny way quicker than they should and then they don't bend to scrutiny in other situations where they probably should reconsider. You know, you know what I mean? It's almost like an ego of ownership seeds the fairness of sport. And that's something that uh, as like an American watcher, that, that does kind of get to me a little bit is the frustrations, you know, like, and, and today, so, so, so Nate Saunders, he's a, he's a general editor for F1 ESPN, uh, gave a really great, you know, kind of breakdown of, of the situation today. So essentially, they, uh, they deem Aston Martin, they didn't properly carry out a five-second penalty at Alonso's pit stop midway through the race, and he, uh, which he received for not lining up properly uh, in, in, the, in the first place. Um, they came back to, to, to that decision afterwards and said that, you know, the definition of working on a car, quote unquote, is something that they still haven't fully worked out yet. And it's something that they have to, you know, go to the sporting, sporting advisory committee, apparently, to, 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 to settle that out. And so they're meeting again uh, on, uh, you know, later on in March to figure out, you know, what is, how are they going to regulate the sport in a fair and transparent way? I, I also think that's lip service. Yeah, I, I think the, the nature of, of the, the people that are in charge of the sport, they've let a lot of bigger things go by and they just keep saying things like, hey, we're going to meet behind closed doors and we're going to make our decision and no one will really know. And that's just kind of the nature of it. So, you know, even though it's something that they're going to meet about, I don't think it's going to be like the Geneva Convention or anything. I think it's literally going to be these folks trying to figure out how do we how do we get past this scenario that that's my pessimistic thoughts on this, you know, is how do we get past this scenario and then go to next weekend and, and, and have them like kind of forget. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, Chris. I know I just kind of went off a little bit on my high horse. No, you're good. A uh, super interesting uh, perspective and good to hear how uh, other people have written about it as well. Um, so from my understanding, uh, Aston Martin went to the stewards with like seven different video clips of instances where people touch the car during a pit stop 
or whatever, and it wasn't penalized. And so they basically went through like they would using precedents in like a legal case and say, listen, here's seven examples of the times that people were serving penalties. Someone touched the car, didn't work on it, but they touched the car and nothing ever happened to them. So we would like to be held to the same standard as this. And so they were basically put between a rock and a hard place of Aston Martin. All of a sudden, if they continue getting their penalty, they would raise hell and be like, look at all these times and just further cause them to question the FAA and their decisions. And so, yeah, I, I agree with you. I definitely think that there needs to be a hard line on like what is important, what is not, and that just needs to be followed. And if touching the car is not working on the car, then make it that rule, just like no work and defined what work means can be done on the car. Um, I also think the the whole pen, the first penalty is a little ambiguous in the first place too. Like, is is being outside of the box just slightly? Is that gaining an advantage? Is it more about being further than the line, or is it left and right? Um, because it was really weird in the last race, just watching Ocon get like three or four penalties in the same race, and it just sort of deflated his race. And it almost feels like un, not maybe not uninteresting, but just a little a little crazy with the penalties from my perspective. And so we haven't we haven't seen that penalty in the few years I've been watching. And then all of a sudden in the first two races, two drivers have gotten it. And it's sort of like, why now? Why are you both being over penalizing and also more inconsistent with your decisions? And it's just, I, I think the FIA needs to really figure out what their ultimate processes are. And honestly, I think it starts with, um, and we really haven't talked about this before, but I think it starts with having a specific set of stewards that are consistent throughout the season instead of a bunch of uh, random people for each race. Um, because it just sort of, it leads to a lot of inconsistent decision-making when you have a judge that judges one race and that's it. Yeah, I think the selective punitive like kind of uh, culture that they have and that they're okay with is... I don't know how long, I don't know how they can, how do they keep it up, man? Quite honestly, uh, it's, it seems like, like, like this scenario, for instance, I can easily see this going under the rug, going into April and the ensuing kind of races and it never gets addressed. Like I can, like, like that's where, like, I guess I am a little bit jaded, even though like I'm kind of just starting, uh, like, like you are watching the past few years. That's something that stuck out a lot and it's still starting to stick out is the inconsistencies and in how like penalties are administered how they're administered across different teams you know like like why did alpine not have like the ability to to rebuttal as well i know they were a little bit more intrusive and there there is grounds for them to you know say that they're working but, but like you said what is can you define work like yeah. can you define touching like like what you, there has to be certain definitions it can't all just this can't be the press that the fia makes an arbitrary uh you know uh rule and then it, the onus is on the team to go collect all of these like you know videos and 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 things and then take it to to the student like that that shouldn't be the 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 path of of least resistance that or like the appropriate you know path it, it's a lot of entanglement a lot of red tape and a lot of inconsistencies across so it makes it hard for fans to 
keep track of like, you know, what happened on the track and then what the punishment is afterwards. Like it, it just doesn't add up. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think there's, there's, you know, there's, there's a lot to be said for, for improvements needed on, on these rules. I'd be curious to see after this March 27th meeting, what comes out of it. Um, but, but I'm not hopeful. You know? Yeah. Well, so one, I have one further like thought about this and I'm curious how you feel in other sports. Um, there's tons of instances where there's like a bad call, you know, like in soccer, like for instance, like there's like a penalty kick uh, and then the instant replay comes on and it was very clearly not a foul or someone was very clearly fouled and it wasn't called and they have the technology, but you know, at the end of the day, if there's a bad call, um, if something happens, you know, if the sport continues on and the game continues on, you know, it is what it is and they move on. So I don't really like this, um, you know, the, the, I forget what lap the safety car happened on, but it was, I think it was like lap 18 or whatnot. And this penalty wasn't called out until Alonzo was already standing on the podium. And it's sort of like, does, is there a statute of limitations that needs to happen? Like, I think the FIA needs to be able to review and, you know, instigate penalties or whatnot before people are standing on the podium. There needs to be like the race classification. Once the race classification is like signed and they're on the podium and celebrating, that's, that's a result unless there's just like blatant cheating going on. I'm, I'm like, yeah. I'm just curious about your thoughts, like on that, like, should they ever go back and do that? Or, um, because it's just so weird, like hearing hours after the race, the stuff going on, it like really takes away from the legitimacy and the integrity of the sport for me. Yeah. So I think two things to that. So one is an example that I'll pull from football, right? Like American football coaches have red challenge flags. They got two of them, you know, after a play has happened, you can throw that flag out up until a certain point. If that next play starts before you get that red flag out, you, you have no grounds anymore to challenge that play, Re irregardless of what happened, if it's right or wrong. That moment of hesitation, the onus on the coach to throw that flag, that is appropriate for that sport because that sport is being played in, in real time. That's, you know, football is, you can pause it, you can replay it, you can see what happened. In F1, I can appreciate that there has to be uh, a little bit of a delay probably to understand really what happened in that situation because the cars are moving so fast but it's not like they don't have replay technology that they can instantly go to look and see what happened and right as it happened they they, they have uh i guess in in in, uh, in in business it's called slas right if you if you sign a company uh, to do certain kind of work for you the contract says like hey you have to do it within x many days x many like hours or whatever there should be some sort of SLA for the turnaround time that the stewards have or like the replay team has to administer those 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 uh, penalties or, or, or replay a situation, see exactly what happened. And it should be administered as fast as possible. I don't know enough about like how the inner workings of, of that would happen on, in, in an F1 race, because like I said, things are so fast. It's not like a football like game, you know, so. But I do think the principle of having a time limit between when something happens and by the time a penalty is administered, like that should be much tighter and that should be more consistent. There should be, you know, 
markers of, of, of success that the FIA puts up to, to, to continue to, to, to make that process a lot, lot more iterative and a lot better. Because I think, yeah, right now there is a big delay and it's an inconsistent delay between something happening on track and then like the consequences of that administered by the FIA afterwards. And then a lot of flip-flops happening at the same time. So, so yeah, I think like they need to find what's appropriate for, for F1 and, and, you know, uh, and I'm just using the, the, the coaches challenge flag from football to, to help me out here, but there are other instances in, in sport as well. Right. Like, you know, you're only given a certain amount of timeouts, like in, in basketball, you're right. only, you know, you, ha- if you get two technical fouls, you're out. What does the technical foul look like? Well, it could be a couple of different things. One is if you make contact with another person, like with like your fist or with your knee and the, all the referees agree that, Hey, that in replay, that is out of bounds and egregious. And it was with intent. Then that is a little bit more arbitrary, right? Like there's consequences to that. If it's a flagrant foul and you get two of them, but six normal fouls that are like in game fouls and use them strategically, you know, like, that that's the part of the game, you know, like, and that could mean like you're touching someone's uh, or you hit someone's when they, like, it's, I guess what I'm trying to get to is there has to be definition. Yes. And it has to be at a really granular level and it has to account for as many situations as humanly possible that has happened in F1. And that could happen in F1. That takes a lot of time. That takes a lot of synergy across leadership. And with a sport that's so international and there's a lot of stakeholders at the table from different, you know, parts of the world, this is probably one of those, like, you know, the, 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 the downsides of, of something like that. You know, yep. I think it's a beautiful sport because it's so global, but I also think this is the drawback here is that there's no unity at the leadership level. Yeah. And there's just, there's been so many changes at the FAA. Uh, you know, the race directors have changed, uh, the head of the FAA has changed, and I, I just think that they need to sit down uh, either you know during the during the break this season or before next season starts and just really define what a lot of these inconsistencies are because we we keep talking about this stuff and um, yeah I just think it needs needs to get better and I understand the complications that you brought up uh, about it being so fast and in real time and. You know, if you're, you know, in football, if you're doing a replay, the game is paused. You can't really pause a race. So um, there's definitely complications, but I definitely think they can be in a better spot than where they are now. However, <clears throat> let's not let's not just uh, talk about all the, the bad things about Formula One. Let's talk about some of the great things. And one of the greatest things this weekend was Sergio Perez. I thought he was flawless all weekend. This guy put it on pole. He got off the line. Well, yeah, Alonzo took him over, but, you know, that happens and he passed him right back and then, you know, stayed in the front the entire race. I think he was pretty flawless all weekend. Smooth operator, man. Kept those tires as fresh as possible. Got He did what he needed to do. In terms of setting the pace, knowing that, you know, uh, Max is going to be starting from the 15th spot, I feel like Sergio Perez is driving with a little bit of less stress on his shoulders. I think he actively kind of did that in a way. I think that and it's a really that, that's a talent in its own that he's able to manage his stress his stress so well coming out Absolutely. of last year, and and I think that that's my favorite part about Sergio Perez is is his is not just his natural talent as a driver and how healthy he keeps his tires or anything like that. 
it, it essentially is, is the stress management and how not just that, but how it translates into performance. And I think like, you know, uh, with a team like Red Bull, with a principal like Christian Horner, uh, it's you can feel that pressure and he lives up to it really well, man. I think this weekend was outstanding for him. I'm really happy for him. I think, you know, he had a commanding lead. That car is a fucking rocket ship. Yeah. And he, and he really put Red Bull at ease. Um, so much so that Joseph Verstappen was even uh, present uh, to celebrate with him. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, Sergio, this flawless weekend, I think, you know, Max coming up from 15th to second is incredibly impressive. I was not surprised. I, 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 I could see that happening. You know, it, it, that, that car is so good and he's such a good driver, but, but this weekend, I agree with you. I think Sergio Perez had a, an outstanding weekend. Well, we'll talk about Josic in, in a few minutes, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, uh, when the safety car came out, I was slightly concerned because that's what ruined uh, Perez's race last year. Cause he was, you know, his tire strategy got all screwed up from that, and he had already uh, pit, if I recall correctly, and he was on the hard, and everyone else just was faster than him. So, but uh, I was worried because I knew Max would would come up that gap closed when Max was able to. I think he was like, you know, still eight seconds behind, and then when the safety car came out, I was like, oh no, don't put Max this close. I don't want team orders. I don't want you know Sergio's race to get ruined. But he, you know he kept pace like he kept pace with with max and you know kept his gap ahead of uh you know fernando and and uh, and the rest of the pack so i was just super impressed with him all weekend yeah. um it's, text, it's textbook stuff it's textbook like there, there's no he didn't need real finesse i don't think that's how strong he was off the off the off the off the line and after he made that move to get regain position on fernando like after that, he was just off to the races, you know, like in, in the most pure way of, of that statement, he was off to the races. And I, I don't know if this is going to be something that, you know, is going to happen time and time again this season, you know, especially with Max, like having that disadvantageous position. But it's definitely something that wouldn't surprise me if he had a couple of more P1s in this year. So Yeah, I, I totally think Sergio uh, will be able to put up multiple wins, uh, especially if Again, Max has any any further issues with his car, takes a penalty, uh, or whatnot. But I, Sergio has the raw talent. He may not be, you know, that once in a lifetime generational talent, but he is a top Formula One driver, and he's very consistent, very good with tire dig management. Uh, he's very fast, especially on street circuits. So he's easy to be a fan of. Yeah, he's, totally. and that's, uh, you know, it's it's not even a part of like like the race or anything. He's just an easy person to root for, and and I love. You know, you know how much I love that. Um, but I'm going to take us back a little bit into the dark side. Let's talk about the bottom of the pack today. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it's a little bit, you know, the usual suspects. Uh, McLaren for me, um, rough day for for Lance Stroll. Really rough day. Uh, Oscar Piastri showed a little bit of life. I think they had to pit stop a couple of times for him as well. I, I don't know if that that was it a hydraulic issue or something that they had last week that what, what was it again chris yeah uh i don't remember last week but i know so this week uh he he lost part of his front wing on the first lap and had to do an extra pit yeah. stop. and i think lando also ran over 
whatever that piece was and took damage as well. So they both ended up pitting uh, on the first or second lap and uh, kind of ruined both of their race. Although, you know, they showed a little bit of pace, but I just don't think that that McLaren has what it takes to like lead the midfield. Yeah, I think they're just kind of going to hang their hats until Baku, like you said, and just uh, I'm curious to see what machine they come out with then and the learning curve that's associated with that and how long it takes for them to, you know, get uh, to get in stride. Um, I think Valtteri also had a really tough race today. Uh, in his interview, he had mentioned that he probably also ran over some of that debris uh, from, from the Piastri crash. Uh, they haven't really identified the issue exactly, but, you know, he, he mentioned there's no grip uh, and, and possible damage to the diffuser. So I felt I felt really bad for Valtteri. I really love Valtteri. I know you do, too. Uh, but he just kind of got lapped the, <laughs> this uh, this race. And, and I do think that he uh, uh, the driver of his stature, I think that that's that's really sad to see. Uh, yeah. I, I think he, he deserves to be in a better car and he deserves to be closer to the mid-pack. Yeah, so Valtteri for me is just, you know, it, 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 was, it was I didn't know what had happened and why he was struggling so much. Obviously, he came over to Radio complaining about an issue with the car, that there's something rattling. And so that made me feel a little bit better that it wasn't just pure pace for him. But it's very yeah. hard. I love Valtteri. He's absolutely my favorite driver on the grid, you know, contrary to what <laughs> the jersey I'm wearing uh, but yeah, Valtteri has been my favorite for a long time and I've wanted so much success for him and just watching him struggle and the alpha uh, for two years now has just been a little disheartening because he's such a great guy. And I do think yeah. he, has, he has really good, especially one lap pace. Like he was obviously behind Lewis in terms of raw talent, but he's kind of like another Sergio for me in terms of like just a really good second driver who can consistently put up consistent wins when when your main driver isn't doing as well or when you can have a standout weekend i just love the guy uh and i and i hope that they can get their car together uh just like the mclaren so yeah incredibly capable driver uh i think you know if you put him in that second seat for aston martin so so chrissy in case you didn't know i'm just using the second seat as aston martin as uh as as you know as a hot kind of ticket for for any driver that i think are <laughs> are too good for their team uh so so i think if you put valtteri in in a car like you know as as available distant and you know secure as aston martin right now or as a red bull i think he'd be back to the top right uh he has all the mechanics to to, to be a really great driver and to to, to get consistent podiums it just sucks that uh, you know Alfa Romeo is, is just not able to kind of give him the, the piece of equipment that he needs. Um, and then you know, speaking of pieces of equipment, uh, Williams, um, another bottom of the pack team for me this week, which was surprising after the performance last week. You know, Alex had to retire his car. Logan, like we were mentioning earlier, I think the the headwinds of of, of qualifying really did affect uh, his performance uh, today, which which is really rough to see i i'd like to i hope this is just a one-off for them and that they'll be back uh in shape for for australia yep. but well, what are your thoughts on williams today what, what did you think yeah well uh, you know honestly williams is uh i didn't it, i wasn't at the forefront uh of my watching experience because i was so focused on Orlando's alonzo's race and, <laughs> and what yeah. was going on with red bull and the drama with the uh, you know like mercedes always asking about where alonzo was so but yeah it was just it was tough to see um 
uh why am i blanking on his name <laughs> your guy your guy no 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 oh like, lewis george no, no williams driver williams driver oh logan uh, alban 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 alex alban. oh alex i don't know yeah, why i went to the whole I, list there i love alex i don't know why it, it lost the name in my mind but yeah it was tough to see him retire the car he's a very capable driver he's actually on my fantasy team um so I, yeah i put him on there because i was just like he's good he's super consistent he's he's gonna yeah. constantly out qualify logan he's gonna put it up there so it's tough to see them uh i definitely think that they have a capable car it's fast on the straights um and i'm super excited to see if logan can take that the talent that he showed in quali and his uh good performance in bahrain and, and you know actually start putting it up for big points um and getting williams sort of out of that really bottom of the pack because i think when all is said and done if McLaren doesn't improve their car, they're going to be bottom. And I think AlphaTauri is going to, to also be really close to the bottom, if not the worst team this year. And then Alpha is obviously struggling. So I definitely think Williams can can be, you know, fourth from the bottom uh, consistently yeah. and, and actually um, start improving from where they were and get back to their, like, Williams glory days. Do you think they're in a better position than Haas's, or do you think they're on equal footing? Especially after hospital, uh, you know, a relatively decent performance today. Haas is such a wild card for me. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say that Williams will outperform Haas in the long run, only because Haas is just, they don't seem to be as motivated to build a championship winning car. Williams seems to be, you know, they have um, uh, James from, from Mercedes who's going to really try to make that car a contender as much as possible. And I just don't think Gunther and Gene are going to, I think they're going to be happy being not last. Um, yeah. To, like they can't afford someone like Daniel Ricardo. They already said they can't do that. So I think they're happy having, you know, decent drivers and a decent car. And it's just such a weird team for me. So yeah, I definitely yeah. think Williams can outperform them in the long run. Yeah, I agree with you. I think, Williams is actually, even though it's kind of in the, a diamond in the rough, they're actually working towards something. Uh, <laughs> whereas, like, I think, yeah, Haas is just kind of, like, spinning circles in, in the pool and just glad that they're not drowning. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I guess if that's a, a win for them, that's a win for them. But it is a really weird situation to have a team without really any kind of full purpose uh you know stick around um we'll talk a little bit more about the hot situation in a bit but um right at the bottom of the pack is alpha tari mr breeze came in 14 today uh you know he he i don't know what to make of this uh you know outing i i don't think it was very strong especially kind of given the, the pedigree that he came into the into f1 with but uh you know yuki almost got the points today bad that he didn't i was really rooting for him to get the points i think he's one of those drivers that has to keep dominance over nick DeVries. like 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 there can be no questions going into next year right. or i think he'll lose his seat next year uh, yeah we talked a lot about that in the last episode we'll just say you know yuki's sort of in the hot seat in terms of he has to perform this year or he's he's probably gone um but I'm actually happy and to that, see Yuki outperforming. And that, yeah, and, and, and I'm saying, I guess, like, the the delta between them has to be significant. Like, yes. Yuki has to – you can't just be like, oh, Yuki just, like, eked out, like, like Nick. You know, I think it's like Yuki just 
really handedly beat out Nick and we're going to keep him as our number one driver. And, you know, Nick might, might be the one that has to get pushed out for, for a D2, you know? So I think Yuki doesn't have to like go and get points every single race, but if he's like handedly ahead of Nick, I think he'll be able to keep a seat at least. But if for some reason the, the gap closes up a lot more, uh, and, and, you know, and then for sure, if Nick kind of overdoes uh, or overperforms, then I, I, I don't see Yuki having a seat at AlphaTauri next year. Um, do you think that's fair to say? Yeah, I, I definitely think that that's fair. Um, but, but honestly, if you want my true opinion, I, I definitely think AlphaTauri just needs to, they're another team like Haas. I think they need to figure out who they are and what their goals are. Uh, the, Every time I've t- I think I talked about this last episode too, but because them being the the second team to Red Bull and where you just I don't think they're ever going to be able to be a championship contender. Um, they just seem like that other team that's always gonna be middle of the road. And so um I I, I like to see Yuki perform there, but I also just want to see the team, you know, put in better performance overall. Um, because I definitely think that they have good talent. And I want to see that talent succeed, but it's just another question mark team for me. And it's sad to yeah. see them back of the pack, but I think that's why Gasly left. And, 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 and good on him. I'm glad that he did left. I think the Alpines put up a really good performance today. Um, relative to what happened last week. I don't think it was the performance that they think. I don't think it's the performance that they're going to want to go after. Like that's not their ideal position. You know, I think they would essentially, you know, effectively be a position behind where they were last year if they go into fifth. But, but I think this progression is promising. I'd love to, you know, see how this, you know, matures as they go into Australia and to other races in the year. But but right now it seems like Pierre and Esteban have a, a decent working relationship. It doesn't seem like any of the, the perceived, you know, uh, uh, friction that, that we had going into season is actually, you know, materialized in any, any significant way. So that's good to know. Um, cool. Let's talk about our winners and losers, Chris, uh, who you got for your winners this week. Yeah. The, I think we could both agree that, you know, the big winner this week was Sergio. I mean, winning his fifth race overall, uh, just super great performance that we talked about before, like, Obviously, he's a huge winner. Uh, I was really worried um, when the team radio came across and they started alluding to future team orders. Uh, I don't know if you recall that, but they they asked them to match his match Max's delta, but plus yeah. plus point four, which which over the course of the remaining laps would put Max right on his gearbox. And you're like, what are you guys doing here? Like. It's it's the second race. You're like one, two, both races. Do we really need team orders for Max? Let 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 Sergio win. And I'm glad Sergio, you know, stood his ground and said, "Guys, what are we doing here?" So I'm just exactly happy. yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's um again, it just goes to his character. You know, like he'll stand his ground, but he's also <laughs> like his stress management is really really mature, and and I think you know. Red Bull, I think Christian Horner really respects that. Even though he, you know, treats Max like his first son, I think he does respect what Sergio brings to the table. Um, and and yeah, I agree with you. I think winner of the week is Sergio Perez. Driver of the day for me is also Sergio Perez. Um, I think Max Verstappen is also a winner of the day. 
you know, I appreciated when Lewis was able to come back from P13 to win in, I, I believe it was Brazil two years ago. And just, even if I wasn't a Lewis Hamilton fan, just seeing that happen was incredible. So to see Max bring that, uh, the, the Red Bull from 15th all the way to second, um, it doesn't surprise me, but that's how impressive this car and he he are he is this year. Yeah, is that I'm not even that impressed anymore. Like like you know you know what I mean. Like there, he's so impressive that I'm just like yeah like it's just a matter of fact like it's just gonna happen. Um. So so yeah, it was great to see him put in the most challenging position that he could have been put in this this uh, race, and then him still you know coming in uh coming in at P two. So those are my two drivers of the day and, and the winners of the day. Yeah, I'm just gonna. I'm gonna have to go with uh, you know Fernando again. I love the guy, and just I don't blame him. See, seeing him on the podium again just you know makes my heart melt. The guy has been struggling for a while. Obviously, you know he's the old guard. Um, and last year they were seventh in constructors, and I, nobody could have expected them to be where they are, you know. And just seeing the smiles on his face, but just putting in the performances. I hope it continues throughout the year, and that, um you know, maybe there's a few flubs by Red Bull and we can have some sort of a, a championship fight or a hint of Alonzo's third championship. But uh, I'm just super happy for the guy. So big winner for me. Yeah. No, I don't blame you. It's, uh, it, it was between him or Max for me. And I think just the just what able to accomplish uh, in terms of making up all those positions, um, you know, uh, I think he eked him out just by a little bit for me. Uh, let's talk about losers. For your losers, it's for the for the day. Yeah, my big, uh, my big loser is gonna be Logan. Like, um, I, and I think it's we talked about this before, but it just stemmed from quality. Like, he had a great lap of quality, and then just all kind of fell apart from there. And uh, like you said, I hope this performance was kind of a one-off in Bahrain. I want to see him improve. Uh, I think it's not only good for American F1 fans, um, but just to show the legitimacy of our driver pool. And yeah. um, and and just watching another young rookie talent rise to the top instead of another, you know, let's not name any names, but a couple other Williams or Haas drivers that just strode the back of the pack. I want to see competitive drivers and I want to see, you know, that he deserved his seat. Um, and so watching him sort of fall apart from a mistake and that's understandable from a rookie, but um, I, I hope he makes it back. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think, you know, what an outstanding qualifying up until that last little bit. Yeah. And even then it's not like he did anything so egregious that, you know, should have sometimes Chris, I don't think the penalties are equitable to like what went, what they did wrong. You know what I mean? Like, yep. I, I just don't think like, I think sometimes like excuse way too high or excuse way too low. And I, I think they need to find a better balance than that. And, and that's probably, pulling a lot of historical data, seeing like what case studies were like in before, you know, previous situations like this, like we had mentioned, and, and a lot of people commented on the fact that if you're not gaining an advantage by going, you know, off track or, or slightly, you know, hitting the edges on straightaways, if you're, you know, th then why is that a part of like the punishment? You know, if you're, if you're only gaining a, a real advantage in, in the turns and like the apexes, then yeah, I, I'm totally fine with you know giving them uh, penalties for that, but it, it's just it's just it just doesn't really make sense. And I and I do think uh, you know shit rolls downhill, and whatever started in qualifying, you know, really 
hurt them or hurt hurt Logan and in, in, in the race. Um, yeah, we don't really have to rehash the whole thing, but um, it is kind of weird that you know his tire barely grazes the pink, and bam, penalty. You're done. You're out. Lap gone. But then you have a situation where the mechanic touches the car, and it's like, well. Is it a penalty? I don't know. Let's figure it out. Let's talk about it. Let's have a meeting about it. Let's have a future meeting about it. And it's like, let's either enforce or not enforce. And, you know, obviously, and Logan's is so much less egregious than what happened with Alonzo or Ocon last week. And it's just sort of like, why was that like so blatant instant penalty for you? Uh, yeah. But yeah, we don't have to rehash all that. But, yeah. the, you know, my other my other uh, loser was just, you know, Lance, like, like, for me, he almost put it, he almost put it on pole, and then he's in he's in like P four, and you know I just I wanted him to stay there because anybody who's ahead of George Russell is a fan in my book, but um yeah it's just he's in a great car and he was actually putting in a good performance. The pass he made to get into P four was so great, and I just I I wanted to see him finish there. You know maybe not a podium finish, but I wanted to actually see some, a legitimate on merit, you know high up in the points race for Lance Stroll and you know unfortunately sometimes reliability is an issue in this sport so it is what yeah, it is. Yeah I mean Lawrence would have been proud of both of his sons you know like if they would have <laughs> positions today. Um, no I agree I, I agree with that I wish I, wish I would have seen the, see, seen the kid uh, finish the race but yep. um, Ferrari man I just you just got your heart has to go out for Charles and, 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 and for Carlos like like we we touched on this earlier, they're going through a change of guards. Uh, you know, chief engineers and 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 other infrastructure people that were with Mattia are slowly starting to leave, and then you know you have Freddie Vassar bringing in his own folks. I don't know how deep the talent pool is for like really technically uh, sound F one engineers. Like I, I, that's something I'd love to learn a little bit more about. But that changing of guards at any enterprise takes a while, which leads me to believe that they're going to concede this this season to just p3 p4 you know right uh and and that's just early on my thought process but you know last week you even said that that charles looked like he was about to walk right into traffic after his car stopped <laughs> stopped working yeah and 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 today he looked just as defeated carlos was on you know the call on his team radio just like kind of shouting back and forth with, with his uh with his engineers and it's just it's it's kind of like that, you know, they, they, they got P6, P7. What is that? You know, like, so I think my losers of the day is going to be Ferrari and then Lando Norris. Um, as you know, uh, you know, Lando is, is in a car that, that is in an organization that is all kind of just downhill. There's, there's not really a whole bunch of upside right now for McLaren. And he today was probably the lowest of the low, I think. I think his car didn't finish. Oscar Piastri came in at P15, so so at least finished. You know they had a little bit of a fight at the end. I don't know if you remember, if you recall yep. that, but it, it was like the most bad, mediocre fight, like in the history of 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 of, of uh, F1. Like in for the short amount of time that I've been watching, it's like how. As Lance, you know, what do you do? What is that next step? Do you stick around knowing that, you know, McLaren will have some sort of upgrades coming in, in a few in a few races and then just kind of lean into that? 
he signed a really big contract with them. That seems like he's doubling, you know, almost seems like he's doubling down on, on McLaren. But let's just, let's just think out loud here. Where do you think Lando could potentially go if, if you know, this thing with uh, McLaren doesn't really work out? I think there's three obvious choices. Um, as your, your favorite second seed, the Aston Martin, I think that's a big potential possibility for him. If yeah. Lawrence would ever continue firing his biological son, not his favorite son. And, uh, <laughs> that's um, it would require another year potentially, but things seem to be heated a little bit behind the scenes with Sergio and Max for me. Um, I, if there's an, a team order for Max to get rid of Sergio uh, because of their sort of like battle, and we can talk about more on another episode, but you know, the second seat at Red Bull uh, could potentially be his, but also I'm a little concerned about Lewis retiring and we can talk about that in a little bit, but if Lewis retires, I definitely think Lando is someone uh, who's capable of taking that second Mercedes seat. Yeah, that'd be interesting. That's probably the only way that, you know, Mercedes can keep two really um, stable drivers uh, in, you know, in, in seat, uh, but then also make sure that they're not getting an old head, you know, like someone that like, like a Nico Hulkenberg or someone that is only there for a little while. Right. So I, I agree with that. I think that would be, that'd be interesting. I think the, the contract situation is what I'd be more curious to see if it's going to be another, like, Hey, I'm just going to leave. Hey man, you know, Zach, kind of situation. Zach Brown could get known for the guy who's just going to pay $10 million for your guy to not drive for you anymore. <laughs> if that's the case, I'm going to go try to apply for McLaren racer yeah. seat at, Dude, as soon as possible. There, there was a, there was a while there where they took on like six or seven different reserve drives. They had like the whole, every, <laughs> and I was like, let's all just join in on the reserve drive. <laughs> um, it's like the, you remember the movie invincible yeah. Uh, with the Philadelphia Eagles, like open, like uh, open tryouts and Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of that. They're just like, hey, anyone, just yeah, get in here and, and, hey. and see what you can do. <laughs> um, uh, let's I talk about hot seats. Wait, what, what were you saying? Oh, like real quick, I was gonna say, I think this is another um situation where Lando has to outperform Oscar consistently because Oscar is one of those guys who's known as a potential generational talent, future uh, drivers' champion, and you know, if Lando wants to get out of his contract or move on to a better team, if McLaren continues to to sulk, then he's gotta he's gotta put it in front of Oscar. Otherwise, Oscar could steal his glory. I mean, F one is littered with people who are great talents who never went anywhere, and I really hope that doesn't happen to Lando because he deserves his his shot to put it up there. But um, he really has to to be consistent this year, and I I hope McLaren can get their stuff together, but. If it doesn't, I could definitely see him leaving. But yeah, hot seats. Um, listen, I think we've, yeah. we've, talked, we've talked about this all week, and Zach Brown was a close one for me to get on the hot seat list, but it's got to be the FAA this week. I mean, the FAA yeah. has just consistently shown they don't really know how to apply the rules, all that kind of stuff. We've talked about it ad nauseum at this point, but they're definitely in the hot seat for me. They they got to get their rule book together. They got to get their decision made together. And they just they just need to be more consistent. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I don't think there's much of a a hotter seat this week than than how the FIA dealt with uh, this Fernando's penalty situation, the arbitrary kind of nature around how they, you know, deliver these uh, penalties and then retract them. And you know, it's uh, 
Well, what was really sad is uh, I saw George, I mean, I am a George Russell fan. So I saw him kind of post this thing post-race and he was like, hey, you know, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he's like, hey, like Alonzo, they, they should definitely have won. But, you know, I, I but if, if I'm going to get the podium, then cool. That's that's OK, too. Yep. So he even acknowledged he was like, hey, like it's, you know, it's not my like trophy that I won. It's definitely something that Aston Martin like fought really hard for. But if that's what the rules are, that's what the rules are. And then afterwards, like, it just kind of happened to where they reversed it. And, like, George is like, well, I look like an ass, you know? Like, like you know yeah. what I mean? Like, it's just what, what, when he, all he was trying to do is just be, like, a nice person and just, like, kind of accept it and, and acknowledge, like, all the things around it. Like, you can't even, like, like these are the, the, the fallouts that, that happen from decisions like this. Like, that could have been so avoided, you know? It's almost like the FI is like, we're not just going to embarrass ourselves, but we're going to make sure this embarrassment is administered across the whole, all the teams and, 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 and uh, drivers as well. They're almost like, we're not going to get in the shit box by ourselves. Y'all are all going to get in the shit box that we built. Yes. You know? And, and, and I think that's like the FIA's mentality, like, like, like diverge, like let's, let's push it off. Like, well, let's push it off until people forget, you know? And, and that, and, that puts a bit of a, a, a drain on the sport. Um, so I hope, you know, we'll see what happens for this March meeting with, with all these guys, but I just don't have high hopes. Yeah, we, we've had a few of these meetings now, and they always talk about the way things are going to change, and maybe they implement them for a couple of races or whatnot, but it just doesn't seem to be longstanding, you know, fundamental changes. And, you know, I hope that that does happen at some point. Yeah. I think we just got to stick with it, get some more Americans on board, start making more analogies to, to football and baseball, and it'll fix itself. Um, so let's talk about a couple of things off track, Chris. I know uh, this week, uh, these past two weeks have been kind of uh, fraught with, with news outside the track. Um, the Haas-Russia controversy is, uh, is one that I'd be really curious to kind of hear your thoughts on. So just for... Everyone out there listening, um, PBS NewsHour published an article um, where an investigative reporter, investigative reporting team uncovered that uh, Haas uh, has been selling computer numerical control machines, DNCs, uh, to Russia and using them probably for war machines, even though they, those chips can be used for like tractors and manufacturing this likely being used towards war efforts in, in Russia. Uh, Haas's vice president, Peter Zerhut, denied all of the, the allegations against them and said that they stopped doing business with Russia on March 3rd of last year, uh, just a week after they, uh, they invaded Ukraine. However, uh, NewsHour uncovered that shipments continued to Russia months after the invasion began. And at least 18 shipments were made uh, to Russia directly from Haas, worth $2.8 million from March through October. You had mentioned last episode, Chris, that Gene is kind of taking some steps away. You know, we don't really see him at all the races anymore. And, you know, with this cloud of, of potential sanctions against, you know, Haas, and, or sorry, against Russia, and then, you know, like... Uh, the penalties that Haas will have to face for that. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Like, what, what do you what do you think about this? Do you think this will affect Haas? Uh, uh, do you think they'll have to change ownership? Uh, do you think this will happen in the matter of the next year or so? What, what do you think is going to happen? 
a few things. Uh, back to the point about Haas not being at races, uh, Gene specifically, uh, I need to look into the leg- to the legitimacy of this. Um, but I saw on, I think, a Reddit thread that the reason why Gene doesn't attend races is because he's literally not able to because he has a prior strike against him, a cr- like a criminal felony charge that he's literally not allowed to go to certain countries. And I was like, whoa, that's that's interesting news. And then when this came out, building on top of that, I was like, first of all, my first thought was, what are you doing? Like, if this is actually true, like 2.8 million, that's got to be a rounding error on their balance sheet. And it's like, if that's all that you're doing, breaking sanctions, that's really bad. And I definitely think there needs to be ramifications for that, if that's the case. Um, but it's weird. It's a weird situation because when the war started, they cut ties with the Mazapins immediately. They fired Nikita immediately. And it seemed like they were so anti-Russia, into all this, and that they were willing to follow the rules and regulations instantly. So it was sort of like, if they're doing that, why wouldn't they just stop this? So there, there's either incorrect information or they were finishing deals under the table or whatever it is. But uh, ultimately, I definitely think that if they are doing some of this stuff, there probably should be some sort of ramifications. Um but yeah, I it's just sort of like for me, it's like why? Like why would you risk all this for for this? But I don't know exactly how it ties into their their F one endeavors if these are completely separate entities within the Haas umbrella. But yeah, it's just a really weird one for me. Yeah, I mean, if I've never come across something like this before in any major sports, uh, I have seen owners, uh, you know, get knocked out of basketball organizations and football organizations for for things like you know being misappropriate or you know uh having like said something that is is vastly inappropriate so those those kinds of things do kind of happen in these organized organized sports again with the f like you know with f1 and the culture on the fia I don't know what it'll take to get Gene to not be the owner anymore and having, you know, making him sell that, sell the team to someone else because you effectively, if he's pronounced a war criminal uh, to any extent, I just don't know if that F1 is going to want to be in the same sentence with someone like that. So, you know, I'm just thinking out loud here and and it's just based on like these articles that I've been reading and and kind of uh, really entertaining like what would be the worst case scenario here and what would be the best case scenario i think best case scenario is that it's not the big deal and that you know gene's able to kind of just keep operations as they are and they're just stay mediocre i think worst case scenario is that you know gene gets caught up in legal troubles and then they have to sell the team and then they they can't buy uh, find the right buyer and you know they have to strip it or well uh, or i know of an amazing buyer who wants in yesterday and it's Andretti. I, yeah, like, they're not gonna let them, they're not gonna let them in. I I definitely like because Haas is already the quasi quote unquote American team. So maybe they'll let them switch one American team for the other. So that that would be my hope. Uh because at least Andretti. Uh, that'd gonna, be great. Yeah. Yeah. They're gonna that'd put, be a really great villain. Yeah. So like we'll see what happens. Um my guess is that it probably amounts to nothing uh at the end of the day. But I would love to see Andretti in, in place, although the world would be sad about the loss of Gunther. 
Yeah, who knows? He has uh, he has a house stateside, so he might just stick on his team principal of Audi. Yeah, uh, or like or Vendredi. Well, speaking um, of uh, speaking of leaving the sport, potentially, uh, let's talk about Lewis for a second because his post race uh, or his post quality interview. I didn't see his post race interview yet, but he just seemed so dejected, you know, so down. Like he was so out of sorts last year with the W13. Said so he never wanted to touch or see the car again. Then Toto puts the car in the lobby of the Mercedes factory as a reminder to everyone never build this car again this is a reminder of failure like let's never do this and there were so many high hopes especially when they unveiled the car uh it looked it went back to black and so exciting for the to see the car back in its old merc raw power and there they are then the same w13 it may be like a little bit better but everyone else has improved more and lewis just seems completely dejected i'm a little worried that he might Call it quits. Yeah, I think so. He, uh, especially this week, he, he, you know, he separated from his longtime personal trainer and and kind of life coach uh, Angela Collins. So you know, uh, I don't really know what what that is all about. I, I assume is she's about to go start her own company. But you know, uh, there's a lot of changes that that's happening in, in 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 ways that's different from the last almost decade of dominance that he's had between McLaren and, and Mercedes. And that's a perspective in itself, you know, like you mentioned George coming in from the perspective that I had driven a shitty car for the longest time and anything even incrementally better, I'm going to put it to the dirt. Lewis is like, I've had buy-in from leadership and from engineers all this time. They've built cars based on my suggestions, you know, and, and we got to the promised land over and over again. What's the hold up here? Like, why are you guys not like I spent almost all of last year in these experimental phases trying to get the car to where it should be. And guys are like not listening to me. Um, and he even commented on, on the Red Bulls car today. He said, you know, he's never seen a car so fast. Uh, and then George last week said that, you know, he wouldn't be surprised if Red Bull won every single race uh, this this season. Um but uh, Lawrence Edmondson, another F1 editor, uh, recently published uh, an article and uh, a little bit from it because he interviewed Total Wolf uh, asking, you know, would you blame Lewis if he left Mercedes uh, if the car didn't improve? Uh, in a sense, you know, Wolf said, no, I, I wouldn't blame him. But I think we're in a place right now with Lewis uh, and, 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 you know, we built a trust that at least in the next year he's going to, you know, he'll be with us. Uh, but if you want to win a championship, you need to be in a championship car. And if in like two to three years out, uh, he's trying to look out, you know, Toto said that he, he gets it. Uh, he also admitted, you know, he said at a certain stage, we came to the conclusion, we got this wrong. Simply, we got it wrong. So he knows, you know, it's not like he's hiding behind anything. I think it's just a matter of mediating uh, through the through the dark times. Uh, this will look like, you know, uh, sometimes it's not always going to be up in, you know, in, in roses, you know, sometimes it is up in flames and, and that's just where they're at right now. Uh, Lewis, obviously, I mean, I'm sorry, Toto obviously knows Lewis a lot more than we do and they probably have uh, much closer interaction. And when Lewis is, you know, really brief and kind of curt with his responses, I think that's where Toto comes in and fills in a little bit of the, of the blanks. Uh, and I don't think he'd say anything that's, not on par with what Lewis is thinking. He might not disclose everything, but I think that trust that they build at least helps, you know, kind of 
fill in some transparency and some gaps. So I, I am, I'm not, you know, I'm not the most happy about the situation in right now, but, you know, he is a part of the team for the next year. I, I confidently can hopefully, you know, hope is that he'll be with Mercedes for, for at least the next year. Um, and ho hopefully they, they change this concept up and go more towards the Red Bull Aston Martin. Yeah. I mean, uh, kind of concept. I, I really hope because I definitely think there's concern that Lewis could leave if they go through the end of this year and just could never get a win, never get on the podium that, that high. And it, if the car doesn't improve, they don't change your concept. They don't bring up grades and Lewis is dejected from Bahrain to Abu Dhabi. Then I, I definitely could see him being like, maybe it's time to throw in the towel and maybe he pulls an Alonzo and retires and then comes back. Um, but if Red Bull continues the, the dominance that they're in, I definitely don't see Lewis being Max's teammate and you can't be in a championship winning car if you're not in a Red Bull, at least at the moment. So it just might be a really difficult situation. So I, yeah, I, yeah. I feel I feel bad for the guy. Like I really wanted Max to win in 2021. Uh, I obviously didn't enjoy him winning the way that it did win. I don't think it was Max's fault. It was the FAA's fault. But um, Michael Massey, yeah, Michael Massey, FAA, all of them just sort of really made some poor decisions. Um, but you know, I was happy for Max to win. I didn't want Lewis to win. And then after all the dust settled, I was like. Feel really bad for the guy. I want him to see his win his eighth championship, and it just it sort of seems to be slipping away. And I kind of feel bad for the guy. So hopefully, hopefully, they can at least give him a potential championship winning car to at least give him the tools to fight. If it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. Yeah. Stuff happens in sport, and you know he's already the greatest that there is. So, but I I definitely want to see him able to compete. Yeah, you don't want to see a dying. No one wants to see a dying star. Yeah, man. Like that. It's just. It's like even if, like even when I wasn't like, and I'll bring basketball back to this. Like you know, I wasn't the biggest like, like Shaq fan or Kobe fan. You know, like I. But I learned to love them more and more as I started understanding like what they meant to the sport, and and their decades of dominance. You know, right. like I I started to appreciate that after the fact. And that's, I think that's that's just how sports is sometimes. It's like you appreciate things after that. Like we appreciate a set after the fact, you know. Um, so, so yeah, I think I would love to see Lewis get an, uh, an eighth and then and then leave and then know that he beat out Schumacher by by one. You know, yeah. that would give me a lot of pleasure and, and a lot of peace of mind, and and it'll be great to see. But I don't disagree with you. I think there's a lot of work that needs to go in, and I don't think that him leaving Mercedes is going to be the answer because there's really no other that can, you know, you don't want to go to Ferrari. That's yeah. sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, you don't want to go to Ferrari. Uh, and like, and I don't think he's going to go to Aston Martin. Uh, that would be a really weird setup. Uh, so, yeah, I think he's kind of just has to stick with Mercedes and, and, and over the next two years, they're going to have to put in some side pods. Yeah, um, they, they definitely need the side pods. Yeah, well, Real quick before we wrap up, uh, you know, this sort of the race that we're talking about, I wanted to bring back that moment you talked about with Jos Verstappen real fast because you said oh, that yeah. you said that even though he was celebrating with Sergio, if you go back and watch uh, the replay uh, of that moment where Sergio was like jumping into the team's arms and everything, Jos Verstappen is right there and he looks visibly upset Pissed. and 
almost yeah. like a look on his face like don't touch me don't talk to me get away from me like it and it was just in that moment that i was like can't you just be happy for the guy for two seconds like i know your son got second place but he came from 15th it, there's worse things that could happen be happy for the team overall but it was sort of like it just seemed upset and i was like i really wish this guy wasn't here right now and that's just my own personal yeah. opinion i don't like him i mean i'm sure he has a really close relationship with max i'm sure he's kind of his quasi coach and all that but at the end of the day i'm like it's a little weird for me and i just kind of want the guy gone <laughs> they're definitely no ken griffey juniors you know they're not yeah. uh they're not that's definitely not their vibe it's definitely like you do this and you do it now and yeah. it made me feel bad for max man like like when i saw like the kind of how his dad like can't even celebrate you know like the fact that his son just put in an outstanding performance and why are you even there you know is kind of my thing is why 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 did he center himself right there and and kind of just take the take a little bit of the enjoyment out of that moment you know because Checo was going around high-fiving and hug he high-fived everyone on Aston Martin even you know because like because yep. all the force Indian fo folks that that he was with and then he yeah it was just it was an odd thing to see I just uh that some people are wired like that man yeah it's just it, it, it's just so weird for me like we just talked about it just, why are you there you know if you're gonna celebrate celebrate for everybody you know rising tide lifts all ships like max is 99.9 percent .9 gonna win this championship so just be happy for the team it's not like yeah you know checo took him out and put him in the wall and then finished the race like, yeah, it's not like what Checo eats makes you hungry, you know? Like, it's not, yeah. you know, he's not taking off your plate. You know, the, yeah. you're in one of the most ideal situations that a racer and an organization can be in. And that's like, that's the, to reach that point is so hard. Man. And and he just kind of overlooks it. And I think that's just that's just the kind of guy he is. Um, well, let's just say the more, yeah, so, I was going to say, the less yeah. I see of the guy, the better. But yeah, let's, uh, we got let's Melbourne yeah in oh, two weeks yeah two weeks yeah 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 so it's gonna be uh it's gonna be a good one i i have my predictions for for that what what, what are you thinking is gonna happen i'm pretty sure we're gonna overlap here uh well i'm gonna actually go a little bit off i think from what you think i'm gonna say that max is gonna win uh but mm -hmm. i think checo is gonna have some reliability issues next week and i think checo's car is gonna go that's just that's my my little <laughs> My little prediction there. So I think you think Joe, you think Joseph is going to do something about it. Uh, I don't know, maybe, but no, like, like obviously the Red Bulls have already shown a couple of reliability potential issues. Like Max's drive shaft went out um, and they replaced the gearbox with shifting issues. So, um, and they had this happen last year where we're both cars DNF'd in Bahrain. And I definitely think sometimes in the early season, they're going to have some kinks to work out. So I definitely, that that's my prediction is that Checo is going to have, some sort of reliability issue creep up. Um, and then I, I'm going to put Alonzo in P2. And even okay. though even though I hate the guy, I think uh, George Russell is going to get back on the podium. Okay. That's, I, that's, that's actually a really great prediction. I, 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 I can totally see how you got to that, um, to that conclusion. Uh, I don't think Checo will have any issues. <laughs> I think he'll be a okay. Uh, I got Max at one. I got Checo at two, and then I'm putting my dear boy Charles in three. I think for 
Ferrari is going to try to move mountains and lakes to get this man into into podium for this next week. They might even kill Carlos to, to <laughs> and take all of his parts to 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 do it. But uh, I, I'm going to put Charles in in, in P3. Um, I think desperation can breed you know excellence sometimes, uh, even though it's not the best way to do it. Uh, but yeah, that's my top: Max, Checo, and Charles. Well, maybe maybe Carlos will just beach himself again like last year in, in yeah. the Australian sand pits. But yeah, I definitely <laughs> could see that too. I super I super hope Charles can get uh, a couple podiums this year. Uh, it, it's tough to be a Tafosi fan, you know. It's uh, Ferraris has diehard bleeding red fans, and uh, it's tough to see them struggle, especially since last year they had that championship winning car. They could have taken it to the Red Bulls and actually uh, to got it done. It was just team issues, reliability issues, uh, and a couple of really bad uh, strategy calls. So, um, yeah, I feel really bad for them. But, yeah, I hope, Charles, I hope your prediction comes true because I like to see the guy on the podium. But, yeah, man, the yeah. The, the first two races are in the book. You know, it kind of it, – it's weird because everyone's predicting Red Bull to be a rocket ship and sort of just take it by storm which so far they kind of have been, but I definitely think that there, there's some more interesting things happening. And as these teams get upgrades behind Red Bull, uh, it might shake up the, the field a little bit. So I'm excited for the, the future races to come. Yeah. Um, who knows? There might be a couple more mechanical issues that this makes the season a little bit more interesting. Um, you know, as much as I do respect Max and, and Checo and the and Red Bull organization, I just don't want to see them running away like like what's four you know races left in the season they already have everything in the bag you know that just it, it deflates the the sport a little bit for me just to see something like that um but let's look ahead um we have uh Australia in Saturday April 1st is going to be the race we're yep. stateside right now so it's going to be late for us so we'll have uh, our episode published April Sunday April 2nd uh, so follow up with us on that one for uh, for our thoughts there. Um, in the meantime, just keep on keeping on. Yeah, guys, thanks so much for listening. Uh, Sam and I are happy to have you guys here and just talk about everything at once. It's been great so far. Cool. Happy birthday, big guy. Yeah, thank you so much. Bye, everyone. <laughs>